Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Believe in the Ravens podcast. Again, I'm your host, Bo Smolkup, along with my co-host, former Ravens tight end, Daniel Wilcox. And it's kind of a compressed week this week. The Ravens playing on Sunday and playing again on Thursday. So we'll take a quick look back at that 34-31 overtime win over Minnesota and then briefly touch on the game coming up against Miami. But this game against Minnesota, uh, Daniel Wilcox, this team, this Ravens team, from the time Lamar Jackson got here, the argument was they cannot win when they fall behind. The, the word on Jackson and the Ravens is get ahead of them because they're a run-first offense. Jackson's accuracy throwing the ball is questionable, and if you can get ahead of the Ravens, they are not a team that can come from behind and beat you. Well, guess what? The Ravens are 3-1 and one this year in games in which they have trailed by 10 or more in the second half. The rest wow. of the league is 8-94 and 94 in those games. So, let me ask you, Daniel Wilcox. Is that what are they doing to be able to win these games? Is it Lamar Jackson? Is it a better group of wide receivers? Is it the defense playing better when they have to? Because I think it's fair to say you can throw away this idea that they can't win when they fall behind. So how are they? How are they winning? Well, I, I think I think you're 100 right, Bo. I, I think um, I think Lamar Jackson has a lot to do with it. You know, one thing I can say from being a receiver myself and being a tight end, H back, whatever you want to call me, I don't know. Um, you have confidence if you have the guy that's behind center that you know can make plays. Um, I remember when Steve McNair came to Baltimore, it kind of changed the dynamics of our entire offense. I mean, yeah, we had players. We had guys at running back, guys at O-line. I mean, we had guys at um, tight end and guys at wide out that could run and catch and make plays and make plays after the catch and everything. And you could never really see all true colors with Kyle Bowler back there. You know, but all of a sudden when Steve McNair comes in, it's like everybody said they want that boost of energy, right? You know, as soon as this guy steps on the field, all of a sudden you become a believer. It's like it's like having Tom Brady back there, in, you know, in the backfield with Tampa Bay. You know, they came down. He came down to Tampa with the exact same guys that was in Tampa the year before and won the Super Bowl with those guys. And they're a heck of a team now. But it's something about knowing that guy behind center can make a miraculous play at any moment. You just want to be the guy to make it for him. You know, and what, what, what you can say a, a lot about the Ravens is they have not hesitated to sit down and evaluate what they have talent wise and how can we get better? What we what hurt us this year? How can we fix it? All right, if the receivers was a problem last year, it's not this year. You know, you look at the, you look at some of the catches those guys made last night. I mean, Duvernay made a catch in the end zone, man. I mean, that's about as good as anything I've seen, you know, and then you see Hollywood starting to really develop and coming to his own. And what is this, his third year right now, Bo? Mm -hmm. Hollywood? Mm -hmm. I mean, year three. So right now, this will be his junior year of college. You know, that's when everybody started to really kind of take notice of that kid. Like, this is year three for him. I look at everything in phases, of course. I, I, I look at everything, like, every four years, that's when you're going to kind of start to see how a player develops. You know, if you come in year one, he may be a little shaky. He might not be where he's supposed to be at yet. But year three, that's kind of like his junior year in high school, junior year in college. Oh, okay, this kid's for real. That year four, that fourth year, next year for Hollywood is going to be unfreaking believable because now he's starting to get that confidence. I mean, I saw him catch a ball um, the other night and actually point at a defender while he was running. And he was coming back to the ball like 10 yards away, and he was running straight to the ball, went and got it. And Lamar, don't throw, Lamar throws darts. You know, to have the confidence and the strength in your hands to be able to run back at the ball full speed, 
make that catch, turn up field, point a guy out, and make a guy miss is, is phenomenal. He's starting to juke guys and make guys miss in the open field. You know, Bateman's back now. You know, he's playing well for those guys. Um, you know, I mean, everybody knows Andrews are. Then you got Boyle coming. I mean, please. You did, you could you could you could almost pick your poison who was gonna make a play. You know, I remember being there and I used I used to look at the defense when we got close to the end of the game, but like all right, all right, Reed, you know, we need to play, dog. All right, Ray, we need to play. You know, all right, Samari, we need to play. Chris McAllister, we need to play. Hey, Suggs, hey man, let's go get it. You didn't know which one of those guys was gonna make a play. You starting to see that same exact type of thing on the Ravens offense, and that's phenomenal, man, to be able to see that. And I, I think every time somebody says something about Lamar Jackson, he sets out to prove you wrong. He sets out to prove you wrong. I mean, let's let's face it. It's the NFL. It's not high school football where you're running the wing tee and you can't throw the ball. You got NFL receivers. You got all Americans out there that actually can make plays and explosive guys. You just got to get the ball in their hands. The play calling has been dynamic. I think the OC is doing a much better job than he has in the past. And you could tell that he's pushing these guys to develop. And I think another thing that, that gets left out sometimes is that players have to develop. So do coaches, Right. It's like, all right, this is what I trust you to do. I can't trust you to do too much more, much more than that right now. But next year, I could keep developing you over the offseason to be able to do more. And then the next year, I could develop you to do more. And then the next year, I could develop you to do more. And it, and, it, and it happens in stages. I can trust this guy to go make a play. And it all comes with consistency, right? That's what it's all about, consistency. So you make a good point about Marquise Brown finally developed into what you expect a number one first round draft pick receiver to be. And, and frankly, he hadn't done that his first couple of years. And he says his foot was bothering him a lot. And I think when you watch him play sure. this year, to me, the biggest difference is he catches that ball and he's turning and he's getting a foot in the ground and he's turning up field and he's making people miss or he's making a juke and he's getting 10, 12 yards after a catch. So he turns up, he can, obviously he can fly and he can, he can outrun defenders deep and they can throw a deep pass to him, which they've done. But if mm-hmm. you can throw him an eight yard pass and he can make a guy miss and turn that eight yard play into 14 or 17 yards, that makes a big difference. And he even said last in the past when he didn't trust his foot as much, yeah, he would catch right. the ball, he would go down or he'd get out of bounds. And now he feels like he can drive forward. He's probably on his way to a 1000 yard season, barring any injury, he'll certainly get there. And it's amazing. This is a team that I think they have something like 34 drafted receivers in this organization. And do you know the only one, only one has had a 1,000-yard season with the Ravens, and that was Torrey Smith. It, it's just been a black right. hole for this organization for whatever reason. But yeah. um, Marquise Brown is, is, is delivering, and he's done really well. And obviously, they really like what they have in Bateman. He's looked very good in the three games he's played. He's moving the chains. He's just he's, he's sure-handed. And then, as you said, the Duvernay catch was as good as you'll ever see. I mean, I've I've said since last year, I thought they needed to find ways to get Duvernay the ball more. Things just go, things are just good when the ball gets in his hands. Good things happen. So I would love to see that happen more often. Another guy I want to talk about, I think one of the the keys to this game uh, was Patrick Ricard. Big Mm. fullback, and, and, and it's interesting, Patrick Ricard... Obviously, he's a great story, right? He came in as an undrafted defensive lineman, and for a few years, I think it was Greg Roman who first saw him and said, hey, maybe we should look at you on the offensive side of the ball. You want to, Let's look at you as a fullback or a tight end, and then he's doing a little double duty, both playing both ways for two or three years, and now he's, now he's turned into a Pro Bowl fullback. He hasn't played defensive snaps, I don't think, in a couple of years, but you know, the running game runs through him. There's times you see him block players literally off the screen. And then in the game against the Vikings, you saw how he can, you know, he's a 300-pound guy catching a pass in the flat and turning up field. 
Patrick Ricard is a real big part of this offense. He is, man. I, um, I'm glad you asked that question, Bo. I mean, he's, he's one of my favorite Ravens, man. And um, I remember being up there in the player personnel department in Baltimore and spending that whole offseason um, evaluating our players, you know. So <clears throat> the way this thing worked in the player personnel department, in the offseason, you evaluate your own players. You know, um, during the season, you evaluate everyone else's players. And then um, during that, that, that there's, a, there's a period of time where you always evaluate college players, right, trying to go to the league. Alan Ricard was one of those guys after me being there the whole summer, I walked up to in the parking lot after one of the days, you know, of me being at practice. And I told that kid, I was like, Alan, whatever you did, I mean, Patrick, I'm sorry, Patrick, whatever you did, I'm to my Alan Ricard. Yeah. I'm like, Patrick, whatever you did, whatever you've done, con- continue to do it. You're going to be a pro bowler. I'm telling you right now, bro. Like you, you have, he has all the intangibles. The, the fact that you got a guy that can play defensive line and start for you, and then you have a guy that can play fullback, H-back, tight end that can start for you is unfreaking believable. I mean, I didn't I never seen a two-way player that that plays those positions, you know, and to be able to have a guy like him on your team with hands the way he has, and he has he I don't think he even cares whether or not you give him the ball. You talking about unselfish, like it's crazy. That same year he went to the Pro Bowl, it was his first Pro Bowl appearance. And he, I remember him telling me thank you and stuff in the parking lot. And, you know, and, and I, I don't think he had ever heard that from, a, you know, an outside source. You know, he might have had his teammates tell him how good he was or whatever. I just got there. I had been there just for summer and all that stuff. And I'm sitting there evaluating tape every single day. And 42 just kept showing up on film, kept showing up on. T- and I remember asking one of the scouts, like, hey, man, who's 42? That kid's he, he the real deal. You know, but he. You he that guy when you when you see him you don't want no smoke, bro. You don't want no smoke. You know he finna bring that smoke. He bringing that heat. You trying to figure out how to get out of the way. I mean, three hundred pounds that could run and move and change direction the way that he can and as athletic as he is. To see him get the touchdown last night after putting in all that work on that drive, I, I, mean, I felt like it was very deserving. And you know he's he's a honor to watch. He's you know, he's a blessing to have on our squad and on our team. You know, but it's it's just one more thing. Like I said, you got to take your hats off to Joe Cocanus, George Cocanus, and um George Tees up in the player the player the um the player personnel department. Man, they do a phenomenal job of finding guys. This team is stacked with talent. I mean, you think about all the injuries you have this year, Bo, and you still turn on the game, and you're like, wow, who the free, who are these guys? Now it's, it's a good crazy. point because uh, uh, I mean, Ricard is another. There's a long history of this organization finding undrafted guys that produce and you know that's mm-hmm. what these guys do they they identify them and then once the draft is over they, they they work to sign them and then a guy like Ricard comes in and I mean he's got five touchdown catches in the career and and if you look at the game if you look at that Vikings game the one catch he ca- the one pass he catches he's got like six Vikings trying to tackle him along the sideline there's literally yeah, half matter. the Vikings team is trying to drag him down and he gets six or seven yeah. yards and he's so big a part of what they do you mentioned injuries and a big one for the Ravens this week Deshaun Elliott, right? I mean, mm-hmm. this he has been, I think, Deshaun Elliott, the safety out of Texas, I think he is pound for pound one of the hardest hitters in the league. He's not a big guy, but he can just hammer you. Um, and I feel for the guy. He had a, two injuries his first two seasons. Then, of course, after Earl Thomas, the whole Earl Thomas saga played out, he became a starter and did well. Um, yeah. And now he's probably out. He's out for the season again with a torn pec. So they have to move on from that. And, and again, you know, we talk about That's injuries hard. with his team all the time. So... Brandon Stevens is probably the guy that's going to be the next man up. And this is a guy, Wink Martindale, the defensive coordinator, is really high on him. Um, and he's an interesting story, too. Brandon Stevens started out as a college running back. And then he wanted, oh, wow. to, he wanted to become a 
defensive player, so he moved and played cornerback, and now here he is in the NFL, and the Ravens always identified him as a possible safety, um, but he will have to take over at safety for Deshaun Elliott. H- how big a t- ask is that to have this rookie come in and take over right now? Um, I don't think it's that big of an ask at all. You know, one thing the Ravens have always been good at is 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 having the next man step up and make plays. Even though you're a rookie in Baltimore, they know you're a rookie. Baltimore knows you're a rookie. Every team you play know you're a rookie. They're going to go right at the rookie. One thing that Baltimore is going to do is they're going to put guys onto his left and to his right and in front of him that's going to be able to help him all over the field. They'll communicate well with him. They'll teach him everything. And he'll be very coached up, you know, by the time the game comes. And um, it's hard not to feel confident, man, when you're playing in a Raven uniform. You know, yeah. they tell you every single day to play like a Raven, you know, to be a part of this organization. And you, you got to have a chip on your shoulder to be a Baltimore Raven. You got to play with a little bit of and a little bit of nastiness. You know, you got to play with a little bit of, um, hey, man, I'm the best player in the world type type mentality. And no, no matter, we're coming at you for speed. Me losing somebody like Elliot, man, and I watched him, Bo. I watched him in practice as well. He's another guy. You lose so much more than just a football player, you know, when you lose somebody like him because his personality is everything. He knows he, pound for pound, is one of the best around, right? He knows that. And he, he has that mentality, all right, you could talk all the smack you want, but I'm gonna knock your freaking in the dirt. You know what I'm saying? Like, as soon as you run by here, if you want to, I'm gonna lay you out. And that's the that's that attitude that the Ravens have always had in the middle of the field. You know, so he's a huge loss for the Ravens. It's irreplaceable, you ask me. But at the same time, you know, they got guys that's gonna step up, and you're gonna see the the safety to the right, the corner to the left. You know, the linebacker underneath. You know, the middle, the Sam, the Mike, the Will. You know, everybody's gonna step up and try to surround this kid and and help him be the best version of himself that he could possibly be. And I think I think he'll make a couple of plays that's gonna surprise some people. You know, I mean, you, you losing Elliott is is huge. It's huge. Yeah, he. I mean, Stevens had to play a couple times already when Elliott uh, had a concussion, and and he's he's an athletic guy and he moves well. So I think, and like I said, Wink Martindale has been high on him from the first day of training camp. So I don't think there have any issues or any concerns about him stepping in. He's not Elliott, right? Um, but I think he'll I think he'll do fine. All right, let me ask you another thing about this Vikings game, and I, I'm curious for your take on this. Okay. The Vikings score with, what, a minute and four seconds left or something, and they cut it to 31-30, to 30, and they opt to kick the extra point to tie rather than try a two-point version to take the lead. I'm of the opinion, in that situation, <laughs> as the visiting team, you're 3-4, and four, you're a game under 500. I say you go aggressive and you go play for the win right there. If you told the Vikings Sunday morning, look, you're going to have the ball at the two-yard line with a chance to win on one play, are you going to take it? You should, I think you should take it, but I think a lot of coaches play scared, and I think they play not to lose, and so they took the they took the kick, and it was tied, and then they ended up losing in overtime. Now, I will say, Mike Zimmer, the Vikings coach, was asked about that after the game. Why didn't you play for two there? And he, he referenced Justin Tucker, and he said, well, they have a great kicker over there, and I think what he was saying was, if they had gone ahead, the Ravens still had a minute and four seconds, and really all you have to do is get to the Vikings' say, 40-yard line, and Tucker's got a chance to win it. But that that was the same whether they tied it or went ahead, but maybe thought they'd be more aggressive if they went ahead. Um, but it was interesting. I, I I don't know. It's easy for me to say I'm sitting here at a desk and I'm not getting you know ripped. If he, I know if he doesn't make it, he gets ripped. If he makes it, they, they might win or they might lose. But I thought they should go for two. What do you think? Um, I'm, I'm one of those guys that, that coaches like Matt. You know, so I'm always going for it, right? I'm I'm going for the win every single time. And I, I think in the NFL, what you happen is I don't think guys are afraid to lose. I think guys are afraid to lose their job. You know, like, hey man, like 
if we go for two right here, we got a chance to win it. You know, that's but we we, we left so much time on the clock that I don't know if we can stop these guys from getting down the field. They hadn't stopped the Ravens all freaking day. You know, so if you if you get the ball on the 30 yard line, you know, and then have to only take the ball 30 yards before Justin Tucker does his freaking voodoo type magic type thing that he does with his leg. I mean, how do you prepare for something like that? It's a scary situation. I mean, regardless of which way it goes. But I mean, you could go for two and not get it. Then you lose by one. And then, you know what I'm saying? And you never even get an opportunity to. I think that's kind of where, where his head is. Like if I at least tie it up. You know, if they don't go down and, and kick the field goal or whatever to win, then at least I get a chance to go into overtime. But if I screw this up right now, if we don't get the, the two, we lose by one regardless. You know, we can't get the ball back with enough time, no matter what, to be able to get down to kick a field goal to win it. Right. So in his case, and a lot of times I'm just like you both. Heck, man, I got a chance to win this thing. Let's go ahead and do it. The NFL is just so freaking sketchy this year. Like every time you think somebody don't pull it off a freaking win, you know, they do some magical Houdini type mess. And next thing you know, they, they, they figure out a way to get into field goal range. And with Justin Tucker kicking 60 yard field goals, man, it's kind of that's kind of scary thing. And he's Mr. Automatic. I mean, he do barely missed a field goal his entire career. Like it's like it's like you got Tom Brady at quarterback. Right. And then you got Tom Brady at field goal, you know, at the field goal kicker. And that's that's kind of what the Ravens got. You got you got Mike, you got Mike Vick, you know, freaking supersized with Lamar back there. You know, he can make magic with his legs. He can make magic with his arms. And he's showing people day in and day out that he can make the throws downfield to the throws to outside. I mean, he's done this his entire college career, too. It's no shock to anybody. He's just people just ignore it for some reason. You know, he did the same thing in high school. I remember seeing Lamar in high school, and I remember seeing this thing that went viral where he ran as quarterback and he stopped on a dime at the goal line and spun out and walked into the end zone. And it went viral. It was all over huddles, all over social media. That's before anybody knew who the heck Lamar Jackson was. He had Louisville balling that quarterback, and the thing goes viral like a year later. You know, it's like, who the heck is this kid in Florida? Like, this kid is, I mean, he literally stopped on a dime, you know, <laughs> slammed on the brakes. And it was funny, man, but the, the, I think having somebody like Lamar and coaches having to prepare for somebody like him, I think it's a scary situation. I watched, I literally watched the game and watched the Vikings start in a 4-3 defense. And by the end of the game, they was in a 3-4 defense. Why does something like that happen? Well, you kind of abort your game plan. You abort whatever it is that's going on. And you say, hey, man, we need more fast bodies on the ground. Let's get a slow guy off the field. Let's take a D lineman off. Let's put an extra linebacker or extra DB on the field. I think they I think they switched their defense to a 3-3 stack. You know, and when you start thinking about that, you're like, man, they got to get five DBs on the field, three linebackers and three down linemen, and then figure out a way to get to this guy. He was running all over the freaking place. Every time they left the lane, he, he squeezed through that gap, and he was off to the races. And that's a scary feeling as a coach. You know, this guy could scramble for 30 yards. He could throw for 30 yards. And they in field goal range. And, you know, your kicker could kick 60 yards. Come on, man. Like, tie this thing up. Let's give us a chance to go into overtime. And uh, let's try to beat them the old-fashioned way. No, it's a fair point. It is a fair point. That's what they did. They tied and went to overtime. And they had a chance, right? Because the Ravens turned the ball over in overtime. But then the Ravens defense, which had a couple breakdowns, but otherwise played well, Got the big yeah. stop, and then and you know, and then they got once they got downfield. You figure Tuck, they're going to control the clock to the end, and Tucker's going to have a chance to win it, as you said. Right. The guy hardly ever misses in in the fourth quarter in overtime. I'm not sure if he's ever missed in the fourth quarter overtime, um, but he's you know, and and then they get the win. But it is it's an interesting discussion. You talk about that Lamar Jackson play. 
if I remember right, he pulled almost the exact same move. Uh, I think it was against the Chiefs. He gets down to the goal line, he and he stops on a dime, and the Chiefs defenders flew out of bounds, and he just steps mm-hmm. into the end zone. Um, it, you know, like, and you said, it's just so, if you're a defensive player, it's just, it's, it has to be agonizing. You think you have the guy contained, you've done everything you're supposed to do. And then you look up and he's broken a tackle and he's got 18 yards and, and you're, you know, you're gassed and you're, and they got the, they've moved the chains and, and I think they had the Vikings defense just exhausted at the end of that game. Yeah. I, I think you look at plays too, Bo, like you, you think about all like the coolest trick plays you've ever seen, whether it was special teams, trick plays, Vikings, the Vikings pulled a couple, right? They did. Uh, whether they were, um, um, offensive trick plays or whatever, right? You think about those plays. These coaches are so good at what they do, evaluating film, breaking down film, and trying to figure out what your weaknesses are. Like, they would literally tell Lamar all week, this is going to be a big, big game for you with your legs this week, Lamar. Like, you look at, just watch how the linebackers take off running when they play a lot of man coverage or whatever. They take off, they turn their backs to the quarterback a lot. When that type of stuff happens, when you look up and you're the quarterback, you got three, four guys rushing at you. And everybody else back his turn, that's an instant 15 yards with somebody like Lamar Speed, right? So they probably told him going into this game, this might be a big opportunity for you to get another 100-yard game because, you know, these guys literally play man coverage, zero, one, uh, different forms of those pretty much the entire game. You know, they're going to have their back to you running, chasing your receivers and tight ends all up and down the field. You get a chance to take off. You should have a lot of running lanes, you know, and uh, I, I don't think they put a spot on Lamar the entire game. Well, they you did. Know, he had 120 yards rushing. I mean, it, and, and you're exactly right. Let me, let's move ahead briefly. The Dolphins have struggled. They're 2-7, and seven, but they are coming off a win over Houston. Now, quarterback Tua Tungavailoa is dealing with a broken finger. He didn't play in that Houston game, and he was limited in the first estimated practice this week. So it's unclear whether he will play or whether Brissett will remain the quarterback when the Ravens come to town. But more and bigger picture here, the Ravens have to go on the road on a Thursday night and play. As a player, what's the biggest challenge to, to that? Because I know a lot of players just, most players I've talked to just hate playing on Thursday night, but everyone has to do it. So as a player, what's the biggest challenge for you playing on a Thursday night? Well, I tell you right now, Bo, the biggest difference is like from a rookie to a 10-year vet. You know, um, a rookie, your body, you spring back. Like, you're not sore anymore after about two days after a game. You know, as a vet, you need an entire week. A nine-year, ten-year guy, you literally need Thursday, Friday to start feeling, you know, 100% again. You know, to start feeling with some of that soreness gone from the previous game. And you literally go right into that next game. I just started to feel good, and now I'm going to bang myself up all over again. You know, so body-wise, you know, um, the older guys, this is – this is death. <laughs> this sucks, man. Your body is still banged up. You're still sore. You got all kinds of bruises and thigh contusions and arm bruises and shoulder bruises and wrists and ankles and toes and necks, shoulder. It's crazy. Your bag, you know, it's a frustrating situation. And let's let's take let's go let's let's consider the schedule, right? Let's consider how your schedule is. All right, you play on Sunday, right? You play on Sunday. Monday morning, you get up and you go to work early Monday morning. If you got treatment, you there like six a.m. Okay, you're getting your treatment in, and then um, you got film study at 8, you get breakfast, film study, then you leave film study, and then you're going to have some form of walk-through or jog-through practice, like, where you're going to, you know, try to get some of the soreness out. For some reason, they feel like running and sweating and lifting weight helps you get the soreness out. We feel like it's, it's worse, but, you know, it, it really does help you. You, don't, you just don't know it does. And then Tuesday morning, 
you know, you get your day off. You still got treatment if you got treatment two or three times that day, but everybody else get a chance to literally lay in the bed all day on Tuesday. Wednesday, you putting the bulk of the game plan in, you know, so you got you up early in the morning, you're going to work all that day. You got three, four, um, um, three or four film sessions. You got, you got um, team meeting, you got position meeting, you got offensive defensive meetings then you got special teams meeting you got all these different meetings back to back to back and you're breaking down what you're going to do and then i don't think people realize like on thursdays and fridays is that's when you normally install like your short yardage and goal line package and stuff like that and you're in full pass those days because you have to install like the brunt of the work the dirty work part of the game right your thursdays and fridays usually a padded game and then friday you kind of back off some because you want the guys to be able to get rested up for saturday saturday is always a travel day you're going to have walkthroughs and all that stuff, film sessions and stuff that day. And then Sunday you go play. So when it's a short week like this, you play Sunday, you get up Monday, you still got to get the soreness out. You still got to run. You still got to do all that stuff. But now you already jumping right into install, you know, so you miss that Tuesday because you can't wait to Wednesday to install because you play Thursday, you know, so Tuesday you got to have some kind of abbreviated practice. Something has to happen on Tuesday. You don't get that Tuesday off now that you normally would get. Then Wednesday, you know, Wednesday, is, is, you can't put pads on in a week like this because your guys are still banged up. You have to be able to respect your guys and say, all right, we got to be in shells and shorts or just jerseys and shorts all these three days so the guys can rest. But you got to figure out ways to get your reps in. You still get, if you normally get 150 reps before every game or 250 reps before every game, you got to figure out how to get those 250 reps. So there's going to be, it's going to be a walkthrough every single day. You're going to have a walkthrough. Then you're going to go back to two days in training camp. You know, walk through that morning, then you can have a practice later on that evening. You kind of reiterate everything and you putting everything in and your film sessions, crazy, crazy, crazy. So the, the players get no break. The coaches get no break. The players, the, the coaches literally coach Sunday night and go right to the office and sleep in the office. And they watching film and breaking down film all night of whatever the Dolphins just did this week. And you thank God they don't have their starting quarterback. You thank God that they're one and seven or two and seven right now. And you think, all right, all right guys. If we had to play a team in a short week, this is the team we want to play. But you can't sleep. It's the NFL, right? That's right. So you you still got to be on pins and needles. You still got to try to figure out how can I get the leg up on these guys? Because, you know, it, it's, it's such a short week. The only thing that makes you feel good, Bo, is that they got to do the exact same thing that you got to do. Right. The only difference is we got to travel, right? That's right. That's right. They're in the same boat, except they don't have to travel. Uh, and to your point about the – the uh the 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 older players i mean i was uh, the offense played 98 snaps 98 snaps against minnesota alejandro villanueva he's going to be feeling that you know he played every snap in that game and now he's got to come right back on three days and play again Uh, i'm glad you said that but one thing you need to know too man you know on average you play about 60 snaps a game you play 98 that's almost that's almost two games right just think about that Right. I mean, because when you have a ball control offense and they had a couple long drives late in that game yeah. and it went to overtime. So they had played another, you know, almost a full 10 minute overtime. So they had all those extra snaps. So, yeah, I mean, to play an overtime game with a, an older lineman like Villanueva, or Kevin Zeitler, and then have to flip around and go on the road three days Absolutely. later will Absolutely. not be easy. Um all right. Well, Daniel, it was a lot of fun. We will see what happens in Miami. I mean, this is a team. You talk about the Dolphins. I mean, look, they. you said it's the same thing for them, but don't think they don't know that the Ravens are coming here with one of the best records in the league, right? The Ravens are going to have a bullseye Absolutely. on their back this week. And then next week, look, this is you have to consider this to be a little lull in the Ravens' schedule, if you dare call it that, with the, with the 
Dolphins and then the Chicago Bears, who, but they turned around and almost won at Pittsburgh. So, like you said, it's the NFL. There's no, there's no free bingo spaces in the NFL, and you got to go earn it every week. So Absolutely. the next one is the Dolphins. Then, as I said, looming big time in a couple of weeks is that Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Cleveland back to back to back stretch. So it, it hasn't. John Harbaugh said the other day. Actually, it was after the Chiefs game. John Harbaugh said. Hey, you know, it's not always pretty, but it's us. And that's what they've done this year. It hasn't always been pretty, but they're sitting there at six and two. And this isn't college football where style points matter. And there's a committee deciding who gets in. You get the six six wins in your win column and they're not going away. You're right. They're they're there. So they've done enough to win. And now they just have to keep trying to do enough to win. So we'll see what happens on Thursday night in Miami. Daniel Wilcox, thanks a lot for your insight, and we will do this again next week. We'll recap the Dolphins game, and we will look ahead to the game against the Chicago Bears. For Daniel Wilcox, this is Bo Smolka on the Believe Podcast Network. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.